0: Source. This is Ed. This is Kevin.
1: We come to you today after a sweep of the Bay Area schools at home. Um, It was a it was another week of a little up little down and uh, ultimately two victories so can't can't complain too much but let's start with Stanford. What did you see in this game because we really tried hard to lose this one.
0: Yeah it kind of predictable right I mean we talked about this last week. With at that at that point, it was six games to go. A lot of these guys are upperclassmen. They've been much bigger games than this, and so getting up to play Stanford, who was at the time, uh, you know, eleven and fourteen or eleven and thirteen at home, even despite looking at the improvement that they've made over time. Um, remember, this was a team that was up like what twenty-eight to two or thirty to two uh, back in, in November when we played them, or it was in December. So, I I think kind of expected that you might be not so up to to play them. Um, Now, I think what you saw in this game was that UCLA's defense, which has to be, again, the calling card of this team, it's very apparent when the effort level is up and when it's down. Um, And I think what we've seen over the course of this year, right, I think it wasn't just the Stanford game, is when that effort is down, uh, we're vulnerable. And when we're up, uh, it looks real good. We're getting deflections. We're pushing the offense. Everything is then flowing off of that. And I thought Seth Greenberg, who did our game um, for ESPN this time, instead of Bill Walton uh, with Dave Pasch, um, I think at the end of the game, he summed us up pretty well for where we're at right now. Um, and, and his comments basically were, you know, they were, they were what I expected, which was that, you know, we can have some stretches where we have offensive lulls, and we definitely saw that in this game, but, um, but the energizer bunny for us is our defense, and when we're creating turnovers and we're playing with effort, that just energizes everything, it feeds everything, it feeds our offense, it feeds our whole team, and when we do that, we look great. When we don't do that, we look vulnerable, and I think that's what happened in this game.
1: That, I think, is a fair assessment. I think it is also something we can get away with against a team like Stanford. I think when come tournament time, we will not be able to get away with that against a better team that is going to be, you know, either better prepared or just having a game plan in that in a tournament situation. We, we can't, I don't think we can expect to with, withstand lulls for such long periods of, of games. So we do need to get better on, on that front. But but ultimately, you're right. Defense is the calling card of this team, and so we need to stick to that, and we cannot let the, the missed shots or shots not falling affect the effort level on that end. And I think Mick Cronin recognized that in this game, that there were a couple guys that were, you know, starters and were not pulling their weight on the defensive end. And one of those guys was Tiger Campbell. And... It, The other guy is Amari Bailey. Mick Cronin did something I think that a lot of coaches would be scared to do, especially with a fourth, fifth-year senior type of player like Tiger Campbell, who, to your point, has played in massive games, has helped lead us to a Final Four, uh, and has been in these big battles. He benched him at half. I I thought he was injured. I wasn't sure what was going on. I was at the game, um, and and a lot of people thought he was injured, but looking back at it, looking at his, uh, at Mick Cronin's post game pressers and kind of everything, he straight badged Tiger Campbell and Amari Bailey at halftime. I think that takes a lot of guts for a coach to do. And I think he, that's also the sign of a a coach who knows his guys. He knew Tiger wasn't going to respond to that in a negative way. Um, and, and he did what he needed to do to win that game. And adding in a guy like dylan andrews adding in a guy like david singleton both of those guys are spark plugs on defense and to your point again the defense needs to be tight for us to win games and if we have guys that are not executing on defense we need to be able to pull guys in from the bench we have that luxury right now with the several guys who do kind of provide that spark coming off the bench on the defensive end again andrews um And David are two guys, but Will McClendon has been one of those guys as well. And it really, you could see a noticeable shift in the defensive effort when those guys were inserted into the lineup. So it is great to see that we have guys that we can rely on now off the bench. I know we've talked about this at length at this point, like when can we start seeing guys coming off the bench? How much can we trust them and i think we're seeing a couple of these guys really grow in front of our eyes and you can see the trust that mick has put in them and it's paying dividends right now but i think it's going to pay even more once we get into tournament uh, time and we're, we're getting close so it was great to see that bench actually being utilized in against stanford um and mick mick has said this all season and it seems like He's actually taking some action on this to be able to use the strength of the bench. Um, even today, there was a he did an interview with on John Rothstein's podcast, and he was again talking about how he needs to be able to trust the guys on the bench and be able to utilize those guys. And that some of these guys are now starting to step up in bigger minutes, and you know, starting with defense, but also now starting to hit shots. I think we saw Will McClendon actually hit a three. It looked good doing this it. Game.
0: He looked good doing it. All his three attempts looked good this time.
1: Yeah, he was one for three. He his stroke looks smooth, and you know I think that confidence is starting to build in him a little bit. We can talk about Cal in a second, and I don't know how much we can take away from that. But but the point is, he's starting to hit shots. I think you know Dylan's been hitting shots now. I know in the last podcast you talked about how you wanted to see like a ten point game out of Dylan. We still haven't seen that yet. But I think the
0: building blocks are there. They're definitely there. Dylan Andrews in this game, look, uh, for, first off, I, I find it hard to remember a worse game from Tiger Campbell um, since we've been watching him. And I know, like, the numbers on the surface, like, I'm sure there's a game where he had less than seven points somewhere down the line. But in this game, like, this was the one game where he was a net negative out there. Um, I mean, was getting lost on defense. Uh, was getting overpowered on the the boards because a lot of times Stanford would switch their bigs and somehow find him under the basket. Um, The E was struggling out there, and a key calling card to our defense is pressuring the ball. When we can pressure the ball effectively coming up the court, everything else kind of goes well from there. And Dylan Andrews coming in and just pestering whoever had the ball for Stanford up and down the court, that that was the spark plug to everything. And and in this game we saw what Dylan Andrews can be for this team, which is that energizer bunny that can come off the bench, just run all over the place. He's capable of hitting a shot, right? Like so we know that on offense he's you know, maybe a ten point game is, is, is a little little out there, but, but 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 maybe not. But with that said, his talent level and that energy and that athleticism that he can inject off the bench that could be a weapon, and that weapon's only growing. Um, so that was really good to see. Uh, Amari Bailey, I think same thing. I mean, hopefully this is the worst game we see from him all season. Uh, 0 for 5. Look, look pretty out of rhythm out there. Uh, you know, again, sometimes he got
1: burned on off on defense several times. Very yeah, very burned on defense.
0: Right? I mean, sometimes you know improvement for for freshmen is not a straight line, and there's some dips there. And this was definitely a dip. Um, you know he obviously he got it back later and we'll we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the, the the next game if we want to call it that uh, but but yeah I mean bad one from him but will McClendon um, again Dylan Andrews and will McClendon of, of everything that happened this weekend I think were the two kind of big big spark plugs for me because Dylan we saw what he can inject will I've always liked will I, I I've I've defended him on this on on our podcast right in terms of all I've said is I I want him to shoot because I felt that eventually he could but I've always liked him he's a functional player it's hard for a freshman to step in there and be functional and he can guard the ball he doesn't turn it over he knows how to pass Um, like he knows he looks like he knows what he's doing out there except when it came to shooting and in this game for the first time even the threes that he missed they were like good shots that went in and out and then like just didn't hit there and finally, one of them went in. And that's what we've been waiting to see. And and, and look, we're not going to see you know, a 15-point a game out of Will McClendon anytime soon. It's not that. But right now, Stanford was just sagging completely off of him. And still, the scouting report's not out on Will McClendon. So as we get down the stretch here, that's probably the treatment he's going to get again in these last four games. He's got to be able to just step up and hit that one big shot or those two big shots. And now it looks like he should be able to do something around that so that was good to see
1: you can see the ability for him to do it right it's it's clearly there it's evident he's there Mick trusts him on defense uh, and and he he plays very similar to uh, Dylan Andrews very tenacious pressuring defense on ball and you love to see it. Uh, and and you were seeing his minutes grow he played 13 minutes in this game if you look at Stanford, or sorry, you look at Cal, he played 17 minutes in that game um, and that was with, you know, Bailey and Tiger Campbell playing noticeably better games uh, same with Dylan Andrews, their minutes, again, 13 minutes against Stanford, 17 against um, against Cal that's what we've been asking for I think all along is like yes we don't need these guys to play for 30 minutes or 20 minutes or 25 minutes like let's get them get them in there between 10 to 15 minutes to give some of our starters rest a breather and get these guys to give us a little bit of a defensive um you know energizer bunny effect and that's what we're getting from them that's exactly what we need um but going into the the stanford game or sorry i keep mixing those i don't know why um Going from the Stanford game. I'll tell you why you're mixing
0: them up. No, just, I'll, I'll stop you right there. I'll tell you why we're make, you're, you're mixing them up. Right? <laughs> because we, 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 we played, played one game week. this weekend. There was one competitive game, and then the other was a nice run-around scrimmage that we played. So, yeah, let's talk about the scrimmage now.
1: I I don't even know what to, to say about this game. Like Cal is just so abhorrent.
0: You felt um, bad for them, didn't you, watching? Like, it's like, how can it be this bad?
1: I kind of... You do kind of feel bad for them. It's, it's, I know they have a couple of injuries, but, like, they're, they look barely D1 right now. Yeah, it- Are they D1? Like, do they need to go down
0: a level? I don't know. So, just, uh, do an exercise for me. Pull up the net rankings real fast. And, <laughs> okay. Just, uh, do a control f and type in Cal. Now, see how many times oh you have to press enter before you get to California. You get to Southern California, you get to oh, Cal man. State Fullerton, California Baptist, and then you get to California.
1: I'm on my phone, and I am just scrolling yeah. and scrolling like and scrolling. I don't see them yet.
0: Yeah, they're 301, so when you get to three, the 300s, let me know. And ah, that's where there they we
1: are. are. There we are. Yeah, they're um, sandwiched between NCA&T and, and Farley Dickinson, um, and the CAA and NEC respectively.
0: So, Yeah, man, it was bad. And, and, and it, it's, it's <laughs> I mean, I, I, you got to put this one completely on their coach, Mark Fox. It's just not acceptable to, for a Pac-12 program to look like this. A power five conference and, and Cal we've seen good Cal teams in the past right like good tournament level teams at Cal so it's not as if it can't be done there and you know Mark Fox I think has been putting out a bunch of propaganda and stuff out in the media about how you know Cal doesn't have any facilities and they're not able to schedule practices because they have to share the gym with other people and and all that might be true like I'm not doubting that that there's issues going on there but that is is no result of, like, facilities or practicing or anything like that. Like, there's there's a lot of good basketball that's in the Bay Area and in the Oakland area. Like, the Oakland area has a lot of good AAU basketball that's out there, and it's just unacceptable to have that be the product out there. So It's
1: not that long ago that they had guys like Jalen Brown, and they were pulling in big-name recruits. I remember the, the Ivan, Ivan Rab, Rab, yeah, recruitment going there. Like, they, they've gotten talent. It's not like they they can't get talent and fine we can we can talk about facilities and all that kind of stuff like I get it. You shouldn't be what they're like. They've won three games. They're three I think. and twenty four. Yeah, so that's not an excuse for such such putrid level basketball. um...
0: Yeah, I mean, within the yeah. first ten minutes, they had what two points? I think. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's just it's just not like, and and within the the first thirty seconds itself of watching the game, just just watching UCLA, and, and by the way, like if we could hit a three in those first like three minutes, it might have been like thirty to zero in the first six minutes or something like that. Like seriously, it could have been like some crazy number like that. But again, you know, just. It's very rare to see a team come into poly and just essentially give up before the whistle's is blown. Um, and that's what we saw, I think, in, in this game. Cal's, I think, kind of just thrown in the towel for the season. And, and you've got to put all the blame on that on their coach. I, I feel bad for those kids out there. Um, they're, they're not that bad. They can't be that bad if they're going to Cal, a Pac-12 program. So, anyways, no. say, saying all of this to say there's really nothing we can take away from this game.
1: The wild part about this this game, or after this game, is I I take this for what you will, because this is on Twitter, so Twitter discourse is not always the uh, most intelligent, but I was on, on Twitter watching some Cal fan chatter around this game, and there were Cal fans who were legitimately mad that we played a press on them. As if, just because Cal is, like, a bottom-dweller team, that UCLA should have, like... Implying that, like, UCLA should have gone easy on them. Which is insane to me. (laughs) Like, Like, I get. You suck. I feel bad for you Cal fans. I feel bad for those Cal players. But to be like, UCLA should have gone... not played their press defense that they play against basically every team and not get meaningful minutes and practice time in, in the middle of an actual game and go easy is just like.
0: Okay. See, this Cal is the fans. kind of stuff like, that makes me not feel sorry here, for man. them. Right. Yeah. This is the kind of stuff. Yeah. This is the same kind of stuff that they were thrown around with the UC region shit. Right. It's exactly. like, Oh, well UCLA is getting some good stuff. Why can't we get the good stuff? Well, it's cause you're not very good. Like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm sorry right? Like, look at this out there, and, and you want teams to take it easy on Anyways, like, that's that's for the fans, and, and yeah. I mean. This
1: is a real game. Like, you cannot expect the other team to just go take the foot off the pedal. Like, I think that's... And, and you can argue that that is more disrespectful to do than to actually just play your game against them. That's all we did. Like, we didn't do anything crazy against Cal. We just played our game, and they just suck. Like, End of story. We pressed yes, we do that against all the teams. So, like, Cal fans, if you listen to this podcast, which I doubt you do, please shut the fuck up about this. Man. <laughs> I, I, yeah. That's, that's literally all I have to say about this game. There wasn't much to take from it aside from an absolute shellacking. I mean, we were up nearly 40-something point, almost 40 points on them at one point, and yeah. I mean, Mac Etienne played like nearly 20
0: minutes in this game. Yeah, Mac Etienne played 20 minutes. He did all right in this time out there. I think the, the only good things to take away from this game is that, you know, again, our bench got some pretty extended minutes out there. I actually wish they could have gotten even more minutes than what they gotten. Um, you know, Dylan and Will both got 17 apiece. David Singleton got 18. Um, but hey, I guess uh, you you'll you'll take it for for what it is. Um, the overall trend for the weekend: the Jaime Hawkins' show rolls on. Uh, 20 twenty-plus points in both games. Uh, you know, putting on the show for that, the stretch run for the National Player of the Year. So that's great to see. We, great to see him getting rounded into form. And then against Cal, Amari Bailey got to you know hit a few nice you know finishes and layups at the rim. We'll see later this week if, you know, the, the rims as open as it was against Cal or if, you know, finishing over the bigs of, of other better teams is going to be as easy. But, uh, you know, good, good to see him just get some... It's still a get, confidence Yeah, get, booster. get some rhythm back, exactly. Yeah,
1: it's a confidence position. And, and Tiger played a pretty solid game in this game, in this one. You know, he didn't shoot the ball super great. He was three for seven, scored seven points and hit a three. But he had five assists, so that's that's something positive that he kind of went back into himself and and you know was distributing the ball and, and acting as that playmaker. So you know, all again, not a whole lot to see, take away from this. Um,
0: the best takeaway was that crowd. That that crowd looked like looked like it was pretty good on on Saturday.
1: It was. It. I know they announced it as a sellout, and I would say it was you know ninety percent sold out or full at least uh, in terms of people who showed up, so, yeah, it was a great crowd, um, it was nice to see Polly that full impact in there, it's, again, I, I, I don't want to belabor this point, we've talked about this before, but we still got to do something about getting, uh, the Spirit Squad and Yell Crew and all that kind of up to snuff, because it's, it's really lacking still, I think they were trying to make some improvements, seems like they're doing some stuff, but it's, it's a far cry from even when we were in school uh, and even after when we were in school. But I think the post COVID era has not been kind to that, at uh, that aspect of, of Poly Pavilion. And yeah, we got to, we got to do something about the atmosphere there, but yeah, good crowd overall. Um, so that was, that was nice to see. Uh, but yeah. So now we roll into arguably our I don't know is this are these the toughest games left on our schedule or is the Arizona trip to LA the toughest games left I don't know but we we still have a pretty tough uh slate in the last four games of the Pac-12 season with us going up to the mountain schools now uh first up taking on Utah on Thursday and then Colorado Sunday I think uh, in the afternoon so yeah, What? Uh, how are you feeling about this one? How are you feeling about Utah? Let's start there.
0: Yeah, so last time we played Utah, we, we smacked them up pretty good, but that was without their best player, right, With without Brandon Carlson, and, and you expect him to obviously be there for this game. Um, I think we saw last time against Utah, again, the key to beating them, like the key is always for UCLA, is... Energy and effort on defense, creating turnovers, and then getting out. Um, and I think in general, in these last four games, we need to take this from something where like that—that's right now. I think our 50% operating level. But, like 50% of the time, I think we're playing like that, and the other 50% of the time, we're we're kind of up and down. These last four games, I think the key is let's take that number up to like 70 or 80. Because that's we're starting to get to the postseason here, and that's what it's going to take. So, m- mostly what I'm looking for in this Utah game, but just overall these last four games, is how can we get better? Because if we focus on that, like, I mean, Utah, Colorado, we should beat them. But, you know, is that the the attitude we're going to go out here with? Or is it going to be one where, like, oh my god, we still got four games to go in this thing? And if we do that, we absolutely can get beat. Utah is looking once again for that signature win. They're 57 in net right now. And they're looking for that big, you know, top 10, quad one win that they can still, you know, stake out there to where if they can f- finish the season good here, you know, because if they get SC and uh, at home after they, they play us, you know, they have a chance still to put together a decent resume there. But it has to happen for them this weekend. So they're going to be desperate um so
1: well they're also they're coming off two two road losses against Arizona schools too so they're they're going to come back looking licking their wounds a little bit and come back again like you said desperate like it's kind of desperation mode for them um which makes any team dangerous and and Utah is a team that has some talent they picked off Arizona early this season and, and looked good doing it too so they have the ability um whether or not they can actually put it together against us it will will remain to be seen. And I think Brendan Carlson presents a different challenge um than a Utah without him, which we have already seen was not very good. But he, he's definitely a a dynamic big man who can shoot it from three and, and rebound the ball pretty well as well and he's their their leading scorer. But I actually think the other key is Kind of trying to stop Rolly Worcester, their their point guard. Yep. Uh, I he's a guy that can distribute the ball and has been distributing the ball very well. So if you can stop him and kind of keep you know ball pressure on him and keep him from making plays, that you can kind of choke Utah a little bit.
0: Yeah, they they like to shoot it from three, right? Um, all their guards shoot above thirty seven percent and then their big man, Brendan Carlson shoots around 35%. So at home, like you did, we, we've seen enough of these kind of games from from UCLA before, right? Where if you can leave leave a few sh- shooters open and get them hot, then they can get going. Well, that's that's probably the the formula for Utah to pull off the upset here. And the other way is for, you know, Brendan Carlson, you know, I, I, the other thing I did would go said about the Stanford game when we talked about that, Adem Bona, uh, he was dominating him when he was in there, but he wasn't in there very often because he had five fouls. So, you know, that that's the that, that's the matchup where, you know, are, is he going to get Bona into some kind of foul trouble? Because when he's out there now, I think Bona's figured it out, but he hasn't been able to put it together consistent enough to where he can be out there long enough to feel that impact on the game. That, I think, is he a huge key. He needs
1: to... No, you're totally right. And for Bona to really put it together, he's playing good defense. He's showing off some offense. The key is for him to not pick up ticky-tacky fouls that, you know, can go 50-50, but, like, Pac-12 refs are going to call it because they're Pac-12 refs. Like, he needs to stop, like, reaching over dudes and doing, like, that kind of stuff where he picks up a foul or two, then, you know, all of a sudden he has two or three fouls. That's that's what's tough. I, I think he if he can just kind of reel that in a little bit, again, it's still not completely in his control because you never know what the rest are going to do. But he is playing good basketball overall, and if we get him going against Utah, like, I think he will present a good uh, stopper against Carlson if he keeps playing the way he's been playing. The flip side is, Carlson's obviously a lot more experienced than Bona, so he's going to be a, a also a challenge for Bona. I don't think he's played a guy like like Carlson yet. Though, again, Bona, even Etienne, uh, Nuba, I don't know if he'll be available yet for this game or not. They played excellent defense against Oregon's bigs, who I think are arguably stronger and more athletic than any than Carlson is. Uh, so, we know these that these guys can, can hold their own against a lot of, of very good bigs. And I think Carlson, you can apply that to Carlson here as well.
0: Yeah, you wonder if, uh, if Ken Nwuba is going to be available for the trip. Because uh, now that we've seen a little bit more of Mac Etienne, um, I'd like to take back what I said about how I, I have no idea why he's not playing over Ken Nwuba. I get it now. <laughs> After seeing Max switch on some, play some extended minutes where he's getting switched on to guys and he has to move around and and and, and run with them, um, he's still struggling. It looks like, and, and this is kind of a chicken and egg problem. I don't think he's gotten enough time to know like what how the switches work and where the communication is and all that stuff. Um, he just looks a little lost out there. So and, and Ken Nawuba, he doesn't maybe have all the skills that you'd like. Like him to have, but at the very least on defense, he knows where he's supposed to be, even if he's you know gonna make a mistake once in a while. So, wonder if we're gonna have him for this trip.
1: Look, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna uh, downplay Mac too much here. He, th- there's been a lot of again discourse around Mac across the internet and amongst the UCLA community. It feels like people are very split on him. Let's let's put him into perspective a little bit. He's coming off a major major injury, a knee injury or he had an ACL tear if I remember correctly. Whatever, it was a major injury with a very long recovery timetable. He's clearly like still recovering from that. You can see it. He's not like you said moving super well. He's still digesting the kind of gameplay down. So, I'm not willing to give up with him yet. Look at him against Oregon again. Limited minutes, I think he can come in and actually play well for us. And he held his own against some of those Oregon bigs. So let's let's you know not give up fully on Mac yet. I think he can still be a useful guy, especially as he still you know gets some minutes in games. I think that game against Cal was good. He got 17 minutes in that game. That's a great, um, great time for him to kind of like get his legs underneath him a little bit more but yeah I think getting Kenny back is going to be helpful if he can play I know Mick said he's day-to-day with like groin injury but uh, he just knows the the playbook a little bit better again he's not gonna be an offensive guy he might get you a couple putbacks he might get you a, a dunk here and there and like an open look but you're not going to run the offense through him. I think Mac is a guy. You see flashes of where you could actually maybe run a little offense through him. Uh, he actually, I know we talked about this a couple games ago. He had that little uh, mid-range jump shot that actually looked pretty smooth. He actually took a couple of those against Cal. He didn't make them, but that stroke doesn't look bad. So I think there's 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 still potential in Mac. So like I, I'm not gonna, gonna trying to like shit on him and like some people are and saying that he's hopeless or lost I think there's still potential there as he gets healthier and I think next season if he doesn't play a big role next season he will have to depending on you know who comes back and who doesn't but we'll get into that later but I, I do think that Matt can still play a, a, a useful role for this team this season
0: yeah last thing on these these upcoming games uh the Jaime Hake show is on and hopefully it keeps rolling we now need the Tiger Campbell show to get started. Um, you know, this year's kind of been up and down, and I don't think there's been any panic alarms from anybody because we've seen enough games where, you know, we've seen exactly who Tiger is, and he's he's the leader, and he's the guy who picks it up when we need him to pick it up. Um, and then with that said, there's been some games where uh, you know, it looks like he thinks he has to score because we're on, in an offensive slump, and he, he pretty much is the only one who can create a shot and score. So now we're going on the road and we're going to need our our senior point guard leader here. Um, We're going to need him to get started and then get pushing into into March because, I mean, the way that postseason basketball is going to work is you're going to need some guys to step up and just, like, make shots. And, uh, you know, Tiger's definitely someone who can do that. We need him to do that.
1: Yeah, and Mick actually talked about this a little bit on that Rothstein podcast uh, today uh, in that interview where he basically said, look, we don't need Tiger to be a double-digit scorer every single night. We need him to be a guy who can consistently score. When we need him to step up, so if Jaime's shot isn't falling, or Amari's shot isn't falling, or Jalen's floater isn't going down, like we need him to be a guy who we can rely on in those spots. And I think the key there is like he. We can't have uh, Tiger Campbell forcing. The offense. He can't be forcing his shot, but he needs to be somebody who we can rely on in certain situations. And he's he's shown to step up in that in those situations. I think mean, you look at that Stanford game. He hit a pretty clutch three in a, in the final few minutes to really kind of put that game away when Stanford was still hanging in there uh, within a few points. He kind of iced that a little bit for us. So he he can't. He has shown some of those. Um, flashes again some of those moments where he steps up and hits a shot but yeah we need to get that consistent like he still has been like you said up and down not consistent not doing what he usually does and so the key for for March and these these road games right now are, are going to be hopefully a little bit more tiger camel coming to life um, But we talked about Utah what about Colorado how, how are you feeling about that game obviously this is not uh the super dangerous Colorado teams from the last few years, you know, led by McKinley Wright, but this uh, a Tad Boyle team at Colorado is always a scary proposition.
0: Yeah, so Colorado is is always going to be a team that plays hard. I think what's impressed me about Colorado down the stretch is pretty much their at large NCAA, NCAA tournament hopes are done right? Um, even if they're gonna sweep this weekend and you know went out down the stretch here, they got SC, UCLA and Utah. that's still probably not enough to, to get in that large bid. So that's pretty much done. But with that said, they've still competed in every game, and that's kind of what tag Boyle teams do. Obviously, they have players that can hurt us. Uh, you know KJ Simpson had a really good game back in Polly, uh, Tristan De Silva. This is a matchup problem. He's a he's a forward that can shoot. He's a big guy, and again, this was a team that gave us problems uh, when we were at home. And if you want to say that was because we weren't up for the game or whatnot, fine. But it took a really late flurry there uh, to to really come back and win that game. So once again, it, it comes down to: can we take the defensive effort from you know 50 percent of the time to 75 percent of the time? Because we needed it. The last time we played Colorado, uh, we needed that kind of effort, some block shots. If we remember, a Adembona blocking some shots, getting some turnovers, um, getting out in the break. That's what kind of sparked that run in that game, and and probably we're going to need some kind of that that kind of effort in their place.
1: Well, we're going to probably need even more of an effort in their place. I think you know you have that number four next to your name, and regardless of your other team's tournament hopes, you want to at least. Try to knock off that team and build that, be able to say, "Hey, we, we were able to beat that, you know, X Y Z high ranked team at home and and have that take that kind of um, accolade home." So look, we're gonna get Colorado's best shot, and you know, KJ Simpson and all these guys that you mentioned are are going to play out of their minds. But we again, I think there's two keys here. We keep. Keep our uh, our defensive focus as high as possible. And I think that, you know, this is a team on the road seems to lock in a little bit more. Sometimes I feel like we get a little too at home, which we've seen, again, recently against Stanford. But this is a, I think on the road, we need to really, we tend to lock in a little more. Uh, keep that high, my hot train running. I think Tiger Aside from the offense, he needs to be a guy who can stay in front of and really try to clamp down and pressure the ball when it's in KJ Simpson's hands. Uh, we need to make sure that he does not get too hot because he can he can hurt you. Um, but again, these are both winnable, very winnable games. We've beaten both of these teams already at this season at home. And we can almost... If we put both of these games away, almost, almost, almost put the pat 12 away,
0: we would be literally within touching distance at that point. Uh, so obviously, you know, to recap where we are with that, you know, Arizona, they have finally we're going to ca- they're going to catch up to us in games played because they play Arizona State this week, just the one game, uh, and I believe that they are at home for that game, so likely they're going to win, um, and so. The only way Arizona now can win the league is we need to lose a game and then they need to beat us head to head. And so two wins this week, with two to go, it gets us right there. We, we can smell it at that point, so that would be fantastic.
1: I would like nothing more than to have the conference tied up going into that Arizona game. I I think just that having that element of pressure removed from that game would be great because there's. Plenty of other things riding on that game in terms of seeding, in terms of pride, rivalry, whatever other factors you want to throw in there. But you remove having the pressure of, hey, we need to win this game to win the conference. I, I think our team will just play a little bit looser, but not tighten up as much. And I would love to kind of sew that up in the next three games. That would be ideal. Yeah. Or, you know, if uh, the Sun Devils want to pick off Arizona this week, that would be ideal to And You never know in a, in a rivalry game. Things, things can get weird. And uh, Arizona State has the ability to get wild and hot, so I, I won't count them out, but, but let's not talk about things we can't control. We are in very firm control of this, this conference race right now. We just need to win. These next couple of games to really be right there. Like, we're at the finish line at that point. And it would be a disaster to <laughs> to lose it at that point, but you never know. It's UCLA. But um, that gets us into the national talk now around seeding and NCAA top 16 just being released this past Saturday. Yeah, now we're talking
0: about the juicy stuff.
1: Uh, we're talking about tin tinfoil hats and everything. We got conspiracy theories. We got all sorts of crazy shit going. But, you know, we came in Saturday morning, and, you know, I think there were a lot of people that were a little surprised at where UCLA was, was sitting. And it's very clear to me, at least when looking at this, what the committee is trying to do here. And what they're really valu- valuing, regardless of what the alleged ranking system that is supposed to be <laughs> used heavily in this is saying.
0: Yeah, this was a tough one for me because on the surface, I actually didn't have too much issue with the rankings. Um, it, it looks like more like look when you have these committees and you have this system where human beings get together in a room and rank. Teams, there's always some level of subjectivity to it. There's some level of like I feel like this, you feel like this, and so how I think it went with this round of seeding was, you know, I, I think there's there's a narrative going around with UCLA fans that metrics didn't matter, and and I don't think they didn't matter. I think they did matter, and that's why UCLA ultimately was a two seed. Um, I think those things needed to be in the ballpark. You needed to be in the ballpark, you know, in roughly the top, you know, 12, 13, whatever it was, your metrics had to be good. They couldn't be terrible. And then you had to look at how do we see these teams, you know, one through eight. And from there, it looked like you had to basically have one to two of those top, you know, 10 or top 15 big marquee wins on your resume. To be ranked above the next, um, and and if you look at everyone above us right now in the top 16, they have those wins and we don't. Um, and, and you could point to say, you know, well, they have you know worse losses and so on and so forth. But there again, that's where the, the the subjectivity and the people in the room come in, right? Like the metrics are in the ballpark. The losses are not egregious to the point where you're not even in that conversation. And so then it becomes, you know, what's the, the best, the peak uh, thing that you've got? Um, and it's always been the weakness of UCLA's resume. That's why the losses back in January hurt so much because we only have but so many of those kind of opportunities uh, to play those kind of games. Um, so that's why in a vacuum, I actually, I mean, do I think that, you know, Arizona should have been ranked above us? No, because we almost did beat them there. And then, you know, you, I think I do think you have to look at the conference standings and say that they're not the best team in their conference, UCLA is. But we'll have a chance to play all that out, and, and hopefully, you know, we, we get that part done. Um, but but more or less, it looks like that was the criteria being used. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if, if I had a whole lot against that, if – I don't know where you stood on it.
1: So I think it was clear the weighting was much heavier on the wins versus losses. Like, straight up, it seemed like the, the committee didn't care as much if you lost to a team like Stanford. As long as you had a couple of those wins that were in that top 10 to 15 range, like, you were good. Yeah, and, and, and there your...
0: again, I think it was that, like, if you lose to a team like Stanford or like Washington State at home, you better have shown that your peak is, is really good. And, and, and Arizona has got wins over San Diego state, Creighton, Tennessee, Indiana, UCLA. So that's probably what put them over the top. Now, again, like, you know, is that the full picture? Probably not. And, and, and again, th- these things are, are just, it, it, it was, it was a show, right. And, and we, we see this with the college football playoff all the time. What, happens in week 7 is not the logic that's used in week 10. So we don't know if this is what they're going to do at the end of the season, but right now, it, like, it, it was very clear this is how they did it.
1: Right. I, I think what was also surprising to me in this was it felt like they just threw the net ranking out the window. Like, none of that really seemed to matter all that much in this, this ranking, and I think your point that subjectivity and that human element comes into play there and this is where i think mick cronin's comments as crazy as they came off as maybe as conspiratorial as they sounded i actually don't think they're as crazy or as bad as the media is trying to make the make it seem like i think he simply was saying what you just said was like yes, there's this human element involved. There are biases that get involved in that. There are feelings and, you know, people's opinions that are being thrown into the mix of how this ranking is being done. Look, I'm not saying that the Arizona AD or all these other ADs or whoever was, other people were on the committee were out to get UCLA in any way or form. I don't think there was some, like, mass conspiracy where they all sat down and they were like, yeah, fuck... Fuck the Bruins for leaving the Big Ten. Uh, none of that. I think, though, in the back of their minds, there is some element of, like, you know, hey, this team, you know, is leaving. Like, there's there are some biases probably underlying that, whether you're, you want to call it from the Big Ten or rivalries, whatever, that can, can kind of infiltrate the process and influence it. So... I, I, I truly think that is what Mick was really just simply kind of alluding to but he kind of came off as a little <laughs> a little uh, tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist on it but I, I I don't I don't disagree with him in that aspect like I do think that those biases do seep into these
0: things yeah i mean this this is this is where it is right i mean there's a lot of ways you could have made these rankings right if you wanted to use the net rankings and ken you would have come up with come up with a different set of rankings if you want to just use wins you would come up with something close to this ranking if you want to use something else you come up with another ranking so whatever the criteria that was set in that room if you want to say that there was an agenda in that room to make sure it was that criteria so that certain teams end up on top, so be it. That that, that might've been the case, right? Um, because again, what, what Mick is referring to, so that we're all, we all know what we're talking about here. Uh, Martin Jarman was supposed to be on the NCAA men's basketball committee this year. And after UCLA left the big 10, he was removed from the committee by the pac 12 and instead uh, Arizona's AD, Dave Heakey uh, went instead. And, the thing to remember is he's, Dave Hickey is not supposed to be in the room when they're discussing Arizona. So I'm sure that procedure was followed. However, once again, to set the criteria that the winds are the things that matter the most, you know, someone has to be there that starts driving that. So if you want to do the conspiracy theories, maybe it, it starts that way. And if you want to say that's how the agenda was set, fine. Um, I have my own conspiracy theories as to why Mick said this. Um, ready for him?
1: No, oh, I'm I'm ready.
0: So, one I think is really easy, and that's just, you know, motivation, right? I mean, UCLA is 23-4. and four, Totally. Right? And, and being ranked as the eighth best team when it probably feels it should be better. Mick has probably seen the little bit of up and downness from this team, and he wants it to get a lot more closer to up as we come down the stretch. So that's the first one. Um, I,
1: th- I, I And I think to that point, Mick is a guy who likes to try to build that underdog mentality in his team. Like, he's always done that, and I think that he feeds on that and tries to get his guys to feed on that a little bit.
0: Yeah, you remember the, the year that uh, the, of the Final Four run where we were fighting t- tooth and nail to just get in the tournament? And a lot of times that year, he'd come in after the game and talk about how disrespected the Pac-12 was and how because of that... UCLA was not getting credit for their wins and so on and so forth. So we've seen this kind of game from him before. Um, so that's, that's the first one. And the second one is a bit more conspiratorial. But I, I really think...
1: How crazy are we getting? We're not
0: getting way too crazy, don't worry. We're not getting tinfoil tin hat. i um, I really think that he wants to get UCLA in the news a bit more here. Because this is weird, right? Like we're 23-4. and The last two years have been very solid seasons coming off of a final four. And yet, you know, there's a lot more news this year about how bad Duke and North Carolina are than how good UCLA is. And someone like Mick has to see all that, right? I mean, that stuff affects recruiting. It affects a lot of things. And we're not talking about Cal here, we're not talking about some, like, poor man's club, we're talking about UCLA basketball, which always should be talked about and always should be revered as one of the great elite programs in all of America, and right now it is that, it absolutely is that, and this thing that Mick said has now gotten into the mouths and all the articles and journals of all the various national media members that are out there. And no matter what, people are now going to start paying attention. And I, I actually think that was one of the motivations for doing this because, you know, it, 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 as weird as it is, we've had such a strong record and such a strong, um, you know, such strong progress these last two years. That respect still has not really seeped in just yet. And in a way that probably it needs to, and probably will if we go on another run here, but I think that was the other motivation.
1: That makes perfect sense. It's He's trying to get PR buzz. I totally understand that. I don't think that's anything conspiratorial. I think that's... He's playing the, the media game. Like, that's what every coach in his position should be doing. Uh, I, I think part of the reason why UCLA has not been getting talked about as much is because of the, the Pac-12 being as weird, and bad as it has been, and I think the conference as a whole has been disrespected for years and years now, and sometimes rightfully so. Uh, I think UCLA is also not getting that buzz because for the reasons that you talked about in terms of rankings. We haven't had a huge, huge win yet. You know, going back to December, yes, we had that big marquee win against uh, Kentucky in MSG. You know, that was... You know, big nationally televised thing, big event, but Kentucky kind of fell off after. Like they weren't, they haven't been very good now. They've been playing better actually as of late, and and Cal is really trying to put together a last minute push here. But but you know, Kentucky again, blue blood, blood versus blue blood matchup there, but they kind of fell off. Maryland really is probably our best win on the road. You know, and and it was a, a hell of a win. We beat the the living uh breaks off of that team but again they've been a kind of up and down also like you know they they go and beat purdue last week but then they lose to nebraska on the road so i don't know what's going on with maryland they just got ranked and now they're not going to be ranked um and so I, I think the lack of those big marquee wins is also hurting us from a PR perspective and, and some of the rankings as well. What I would like to see from these rankings is just like, just some a level of transparency. Just tell people what the criteria is and how this is being done. That would solve a lot of problems. I think that would make it a lot easier for people to just go, okay, this was the process like now we kind of understand that this makes sense or doesn't make sense obviously there will still be a lot of discourse and arguments and whatever around that but at least now it's not this like shady like oh they were doing this or maybe they were thinking about that like it just feels very cloak and dagger without actually being a little bit more transparent around what that process looks like especially after in the last few years they've come out with this new ranking system that is supposed to be what's being kind of the the guiding principle or, or ranking system to help with some of this right like we're getting away from ap allegedly and coaches polls and all these things and looking at net now right net was supposed to be kind of this thing and the uh, this 16 Top sixteen ranking and net rankings don't really jive so like what is the use of net I don't know and then it goes back to just there's a complete lack of transparency around how any of this functions
0: yeah so so now if we leave the conspiracy theory land and go to what the actual rankings were um, I think my overall takeaway from the weekend and just just with where we're at right now is... I think this stuff can can take care of itself, Um, especially after watching games like Stanford and some other games that we've watched this year. Uh, I think the bigger concern of mine is how do we get to be more consistent, Um, specifically on on defense, but even on offense, like more consistent at hitting shots, and then on defense more consistent at creating turnovers. How do we get guys like Amari Bailey to become – a reliable scoring option on the team how do we get Tiger Campbell back into peak Tiger Campbell mode how do we get Dylan Andrews and Will McClendon to be you know good contributors I think stuff like that just getting ourselves better is probably if if we are start to do those things we're probably going to win these games down the stretch most of them um none of we are going to win all of them but if we do those things we'll win most of these games down the stretch and if we do that Most likely we'll stay at the two line and then hopefully, you know, we we can figure out the regions. The only thing I am fussy about on the regions is this. Um, I either want to go west or I want to go east. I want nothing to do with Kansas City or Louisville, Kentucky. No,
1: nobody wants to go there. Uh, Kansas City has great barbecue, but we're not going to get any fans out there.
0: Yeah, and and we're probably going to play some Big 12 team or some Big 10 team out there. Like that would be a road game. Same with and we saw what happens when we go to the south, uh, the Alonzo ball year, where we basically played a Kentucky home crowd out in Memphis, right so like those are two places we 're probably not going to get very many fans, but new york yeah i mean we we we'll, we'll get we'll get people on m s g and, and Vegas is an interesting one because again, we talked about this last week
1: cursed it's cursed <laughs>
0: Beyond the cursing and all the, you know, not shooting and all that stuff, which, you know, we got a Pac-12 tournament to go, so we'll see how, how the curse lives, lives on there. I mean, it's, it's still a place that, like, fans would have to travel to. It's not like it's in California with a big base of alumni just living right in the area. Um, so I think it, between those two regions, I'd be fine, which is why, like, the, the bracket that actually came out this weekend, I, I would be totally good with it if, if that was our bracket. Um, but it's not, and you know what, I, I think we take care of ourselves, this will take care of itself.
1: Yeah, at the end of the day, the 16 um, team ranking and current bracket doesn't really matter, it doesn't count for anything, it's just something to talk about that they kind of release as a pre precursor preview type thing, uh, but to your point, we have no idea how they're going to shift the thinking and how that process is going to shift in terms of seeding, like, it just again goes back to the lack of transparency, and we just don't know how any of that this is going to work in the next, you know, two to three days. I think we're what twenty, about twenty days away from uh, selection Sunday now, so we're we're not far. It's just we don't know what's going to change between now and then, and you know, there's still a lot of basketball to be played. There's still four games UCLA needs to play in the conference plus the tournament now. I know that the tournament, the conference tournaments, are not being, or they at least claim, are not being as as heavily weighted in terms of seeding and whatnot. But who who knows? Uh, But uh, the point is, there's still a lot of games to be played before this comes out, the final one. So we don't really know what's going to change between now and then. uh, We could win out for the rest of the season, or something crazy could happen who knows we just, just gotta keep playing our game
0: keep playing keep playing the rest will take care of itself go beat Utah yes. this week the rest will take care of yeah, itself
1: let's beat Utah let's beat Colorado and then go from there I think that we'll have we'll, we'll talk about the Arizona games uh, next week but yeah we have we have this big mountain road trip and then uh, yeah go from there that's that's all we need to do and I think Mick, Mick is very well aware of this Mick always says this like we're we're just approaching it game by game. We need to keep focus on the task at hand and the next task at hand is, is Utah on Thursday. So that's what we need to do and, and hopefully the uh, the team is, is locked in on that that goal as well. But um yeah, a lot lot of basketball still still to be played and we're uh, we're in a good spot overall. So it's it's a, it's a fun time to be a UCLA fan.
0: Fun time of year. This is now the time when college basketball is about to take center stage, right? Uh, the Super Bowl is over. Uh, it's still too, It's the stretch run for the NBA to get from here to the end of the regular season and into the playoffs. So right now is when no all, baseball. Oh, no baseball, nothing. right? So all talk is about brackets and basketball and getting ready for March Madness. So it's a fun time.
1: That it is indeed fun and stressful. <laughs> but Very much so. Fun. Must well, be fun. Um, cool. Yeah. Just. Uh, I think that's that's mostly what we have. Baseball season starting for UCLA. We swept Omaha this weekend. Uh, I think our biggest victory over them on Saturday was twenty three to zero, which is a wild baseball score. Uh, but it, but we have a squad with a lot of um, it looks like a lot of offensive uh, firepower and some good some good solid pitching so so it should be a fun season there uh women's basketball split the barrier area god i can't speak bay area trip uh they beat cal and they just lost to stanford tonight um we are recording this on monday on president's day um so that was bummer but they did take stanford to the wire they came back from a 13 point deficit and ended up losing by five but they really pushed in stanford who's i think ranked three now in the nation up in maple's pavilion so you know something to to take away from there and it wasn't a complete loss there um and yeah the and then gymnastics went up to cal and uh, this weekend i think they won that meet if i remember correctly so a lot of fun stuff going on. Softballs off and running. They're undefeated and wrecking teams per usual. Um, it's a lot of a lot of fun stuff, but yeah, it's March is approaching, and there's really only one sport that I will be really focused on for the foreseeable future. Um, and hopefully, they will. Uh, it will make us all happy as Bruin fans. I
0: completely agree. It's all about March. It's all about the Bruins. Let's get this. Uh, I still have demons about last March, so uh, I, I, I need those out of my head. I need those out of my head. So let's keep it going.
1: Hey, good news is uh, North Carolina probably shouldn't make the, the tournament, so.
0: Yeah, by by the committee's own criteria, they have zero quad one wins. They shouldn't even be on the bubble right now.
1: No, they're, they're pretty bad. Kentucky, on the other hand, is making a push.
0: Kentucky is making a push. I think they were back into the top. They're in the back in the thirties range in in the net last that I saw. I gotta go look it up again. But yeah, they're thirty fifth they now in in net, and they're thirty second in Kenpom. So uh, yeah, a good a good finish for Kentucky would go a long way.
1: And Duke is dog shit, so that's
0: that's always great. Duke beat the ACC version of Cal, which is Louisville today.
1: <laughs> that's pretty pathetic.
0: Louisville is three oh eight in net, by the way, in case you were wondering. Yeah. So they're worse Oof. than Cal.
1: Yikes. Major yikes.
0: That's a major uh, yikes.
1: Yeah, well, especially for a program like Louisville.
0: Yeah. I mean. Yeah,
1: Anyways, um, I think that's that's all we have before we start going into random tangents about random teams right now. But, uh, yeah, we will catch you guys next week after this mountain trip, hopefully with a couple more W's to our name. And, uh, yeah, we will be in that final couple-game stretch. And until next week, go Bruins.
0: Go Bruins.